Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Amen. Good morning. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm glad to be with you here this morning. And we're going to grab our Bibles and open up to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. And you can grab a Bible that's underneath uh, the seat in front of you. If there's not one right there, someone will help you. We're at page 965. And uh, I want to thank Pastor Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, who gave some inspirational ideas for this whole series that we're doing together. So if you found Matthew chapter 1, I am so excited about chapter 1 because it's this, um, I'm going to say it in church, it's a genealogy. I mean, I mean, don't genealogies just kind of, they just kind of, your eyes kind of glaze over, you know? And it kind of reminds you, uh, Gary, are you, it, 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 verses 1 to 17, and there's like um, 47 names, and I am going to exegete every <laughs> single one of them this morning. And I know some of you are kind of feeling this thing that you feel... Um, like when you ask somebody, um, hey, would you show me some pictures from your vacation? And they pull their iPhone out of their pocket, right? And they show you all 1,127 pictures from their vacation, every single one of them. And you, you learn after about the 50th one not to ask any more questions. Because if you ask like, what, and who is that? Well, remember that picture 14 ago? That's my aunt's sister, Marie, who lives in Nebraska. And, and, you know, by the time they're done showing you all these pictures, you're like just, your, your eyes are absolutely glazed over. I mean, you'd rather have like four days of dental work probably in a row uh, than to slog through a genealogy. But that's what we're going to do. And, and 37 times in, this, in, in 17 verses, Matthew uses this word for genealogy. In the King James, it used to be begat, Right? So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. In our versions, it says the father of. That's that same word that the begat came from. And, and some of you are going, Gary, for crying out loud, this is Christmas. I mean, look at this. Isn't this beautiful, what Matt and his team put together? And, I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't we, you know, it's Christmas, and what are we doing in the genealogy? And, and you're, you're, like, you're like, man, we ought to be like, we had to be talking about the, the sheep and the cattle and the unicorns that were surrounding, you know, baby Jesus there in the manger. Or, Gary, couldn't we talk about the shepherds in the fields? Or, or couldn't we talk about the angel who shows up to Joseph? I mean, Gary, a, a genealogy? This is Christmas. And I want to say, amen, this is Christmas. And this passage tells us that Christmas is for misfits. That's what we're going to discover this morning as we look through this, this genealogy, that Christmas is not just for good people, but it's for all people. For people who don't normally fit in, for people that are odd, for people who are outside the norm, or people uh, th- that you would least expect it for, that Christmas is for all of us misfits. And I've got just two points this morning. Now, don't get excited that that message will be a lot shorter than normal. It's just two points, though. The first one is this is that the birth of Jesus is good news, not good advice. So, okay, let's put our finger in the text here and uh, 
I'm going to read through here. Uh, Chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah was the father of Perez. Are you getting excited now? I mean, this is really getting there, isn't it? Okay, let me get a... One of the things I learned in seminary, when you don't know what to do next... Do it louder. So uh, here we go. Judah was the Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, and Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Okay, okay. I'm not going to read through all the rest of them. I promise you. But I do want to go down to verse 16. This whole list of 47 names, and Jacob, the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. Wow, what a story this is. And if I could pronounce all the names that are in here, I would read every single one of you. These are the, these are the grandparents and the, the parents and the grandparents and the great-grandparents of Jesus the Messiah. And I love how Matthew begins his gospel. Matthew doesn't start his gospel... Um, uh, in Bethlehem. He doesn't start his messi- message up in Nazareth. He doesn't start his message uh, with telling the story of the Magi. He starts off his story with, with a genealogy. He doesn't start off his story with, a, with a, um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? Because when you see those words come on the screen, you know what's coming next is make-believe. It's pretend, when you hear the words, uh, once upon a time, that's a, uh, th- those are literary devices that tell you that this is a made-up story, that this is mythology, that it's a, a fairy tale. And, and when you read your kids a fairy tale, when you read them a story, when you watch Star Wars together, w- w- one of the things you want to do at the end is you go, that didn't really happen, but what do you say? But what's the moral of the story? And so you, you read Goldilocks to the kids. You, you read Sleeping Beauty to the kids. And, and you try to draw morals about how, how you can live better, how you should do things differently, how you shouldn't be like this person in the story, and how you should be like that person in the story, how your life should be bigger. That's what, that's what mythology teaches us. That's what fairy tales teach us. But Matthew's gospel doesn't begin this way because Jesus is not a myth. Amen? It's not a make-believe story. It's not a wishful thinking story. I, I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but Amazon did not create Christmas. I know it seems like that a lot of times, doesn't it? I don't... I love Amazon. I don't go to the mall anymore. It's been salvation at our house. I mean, it's just like the second coming of Jesus, almost, almost that good. But Amazon or, the, or, or Fashion Valley, they didn't invent Christmas. No one invented Christmas. Christmas is real. The genealogy tells us. It tells us that Jesus was rooted in real life, doesn't it? He had real fathers. He lived in, they real, lived in real places. They had real history. They had real marriage. They had real sex. The birth of Jesus didn't just happen on a flannel graph in Sunday school, did it? I remember when I was a kid, which was a long, in a galaxy, long, long time ago, that we had the flannel graph. And on that flannel graph, the Sunday school teacher would tell the story of the birth of Jesus. It was just awesome, right? 
We just couldn't wait for her to leave the room because us, we boys in the class would rearrange the, the things on the flannel graph. And the girls in the fifth grade were just horrified with what we were doing with some of these characters. But that's exactly what we did. But see, Jesus is not a myth. He's not flannel graph. He's not cut out. He's not Christmas carols at Starbucks. He, he, he's, he, 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 he's not left-wing or right-wing inspired fake news. This genealogy of Jesus sings and shouts that the birth of Jesus is real. That he was born and he had parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. And so this is the story of really good news, not good advice. This is, this is not a, a myth that you get good morals from. Or you do get good morals from the Christmas story. But primarily, it's the story not of good advice, but of good news. Now, news is, is about something that has really happened, right? It's about something that's important that has already happened. That's the news. Advice is, advice is urges you to do something in the future. Uh, news says, this happened, now respond. Where advice says, you need to make something happen. It's up to you. Now, you probably didn't have this problem with your kids, but we had this trouble with our kids, is we would have to sit them down occasionally and tell them about homework. And we would say to them, now you have a planner, right? Yeah, I have a planner. It's good to check that every day. Oh, okay, okay. And then it's good to do the assignment, to do the reading and do the writing on it every day in your homework. Yeah, that's good. Now, what are we giving them? We're not giving them good news, right? We're giving them advice. This is prudent for you to do. You need to make this happen. And then I, with one of our kids in particular, this is just bizarre. I, I, I would say, hey, did you, did, you, did you look at your planner? Yeah, I looked at my planner. Did you do the assignment? Yeah, I, looked, I did my planner. I uh, did, the, did the assignment. Did you finish the assignment? I did. Did you turn it in? Uh-uh. And I said, now, I know this is novel. This is just an idea. This is some advice to you, is once you've done it, it's really important to turn it in. And, and it was just like this revelation from God for this child of ours. See, you see the difference between advice is something that's prudent for you to do in the future, where, where um, uh, news is about something that's already happened. Um, imagine this afternoon if a, if a firestorm was heading from Chula Vista from the east. It is, it is bearing down on Chula Vista. It's coming our way. It is going to overtake. It's a firestorm like no one has ever seen. And so what do you do? You need good advice, right? So what do you do? You go on the Internet. And you turn on your radio. You turn on your television. Whatever you can do because you need advice. You need advice like get on top of your roof and wet your roof down, right? Maybe that's advice that you'd get. Because uh, the fire is still far out. Or maybe you, you'll get advice on, on the Internet that says, pack up all your belongings and make sure your gas tank is full. That's advice, right? It's about something that you need to do, and it's something you need to do in the future. Or you might get advice, get out of your house now, run for your life. That's advice. Now imagine if the Chula Vista Fire Department and the CDF heroically stopped that fire Two miles east of Chula Vista. They just, these guys are heroes, right? Our fire department people. And they just absolutely stop. It's done. We've been rescued. We've been saved. 
The damage has been held off from us. The fire department has stopped it. At that point, we don't need advice. What do we need? News. And what's the, we need messengers, right, who will come to Chula Vista and will announce the good news. You've been rescued. You've been saved. And what's our response to that? Our response is, hallelujah. Thank you. Praise God for that. And so we need messengers that will come and announce that good news. Messengers will come to us to say, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. That to you a son has been born, a savior has been born, a rescuer has come, and he has done it all. You see, it's, it's not about advice about, well, you know, I noticed in your life you're doing this and you're using that kind of language and you're doing that and you have that in your background. You better get it fixed. That's advice. The birth of Jesus is the good news that he has done it all. Because it's about this alienation that has happened between us and God that we have filed and created an ugly divorce between us and God. And the birth of Jesus Christ is the announcement by the angels, the announcement by the gospel writers, this good, this good news. It's joy to the world. The Lord has come. We just sang it, right? Let, 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 let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. You see, the, the, the good news of, the, of, the, of, of Jesus is not about self-improvement. Well, that's important. It's not about getting your act together, although God helps you to do that as well. But it is first and foremost about this alienation. And it's Jesus Christ who comes down. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 17. And there were 14 generations. Excuse me, verse 16. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And here's the good news. Is you have been rescued from the fire, and it has nothing to do with anything you have done or anything you will done. It's all what Jesus Christ has done. It's good news, not not good advice. Well, here's the second thing that I want to say to us this morning, that the birth of Jesus is good news for misfits like you and me. I wanted to leave the last part off, but it's true because I'm the biggest of the misfits. But you're a misfit too. This genealogy that we have in front of us in Matthew 1, I've read it 50 times probably in my life. And it wasn't until last year that I noticed something and I discovered something that that I didn't realize and know before. This genealogy is strikingly different from virtually any other genealogy you would find in the days of the Bible. There are five things in this genealogy that jump out to us as inappropriate. Now, if you're writing up, you're looking for a new job, and so you're writing a resume, you know, you write a pretty good resume, don't you? And you try not to be deceptive, but, you know, you try to leave some things out. Probably better for everybody, right? You don't want that new employer to, the first thing he sees about you is, is whatever, you know, whatever it is. Or um, think about... Um, all, we, all four of our kids are married, and, 
And as they started dating people and as they started getting serious with people and they wanted to get married to those people, one of the things that April and I began to think about, well, what kind of family do they come from, right? Because that's pretty important, right? You know, because as much as you don't want to be the product of your parents sometimes, you are the product of your parents. You are your parents, right? We, we all understand that to, to, to some degree or another, to a large degree or another. All of us are our parents and our family that we grew up in. So you want to kind of know what kind of family you're gonna, your, your kids are going to be, who your in-laws are going to be. And so, you know, like, like you're wondering, like, are, are, I mean, are they a bunch of rocket scientists or are they a bunch of hillbillies, you know? Because that's going to make a difference, you know, how you feel. Or like if you... I better be careful here. Let's see here. Or like, you know, like if, 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 the, if the boyfriend or girlfriend shows you a family picture, right? You want the picture to look kind of nice, right? Now, you can take this one way or the other. Maybe look like our family. And so, again, you can look either way. You, know, you want it to look kind of nice. You don't want it to look like um, the bar scene from Star Wars, you know what I mean? Have you seen Star Wars? If you haven't, splurged this Christmas. Okay. Is, it on, is it on Netflix? Or Matt's got, a, Matt's got everything. If you want to learn to dance, you talk to Matt. If you want to see Star Wars, you talk to Matt. So, uh, so this bar scene, if you haven't seen it, it's this bizarre gathering of the weirdest looking creatures you've ever seen. So if your daughter wants to marry a guy and she shows you the picture and it's a bar scene... Of uh, his family, it's a bar scene from Star Wars. That's not the family you want to marry into, right? And like when you meet him for the first time, you, you, you're kind of like, "Well, what kind of people are these?" And you're hoping they're going to be kind of fun people and kind of relational people and kind of interested and interesting people. You don't want to, your son or daughter like to marry into a long line of arsonists or something like that, right? Right? Now, so like if you have a, a really weird aunt or a really odd uncle, you, d- you just don't tell anybody, right? You just kind of hide them. And then like five or six Christmas later, you let them out of the closet. <laughs> and, you're, and, and you're like, Who, what is that? You know, because you don't want, you, you don't want to marry into a family that's that weird. <laughs> Except sometimes you do marry into a family like that, right? But look at this. Look at this. This genealogy of the good news of Jesus is full of oddities. It's full of misfits. It's full of people that if you were writing a resume, you would have scrubbed it clean of some of these names. And Matthew begins this good news gospel message about Jesus. And he not only doesn't scrub them out, he puts them in. There is no other genealogy from the Bible world that lists... Now, and I want you to listen to me because I'm going to explain what I'm going to say here, but it's going to sound weird to our ears. There's no other genealogy from the days of the Bible that we have found that lists women. Now, 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 I disagree with that. You know what, I mean, what I'm saying? But in that day, to list women in a genealogy was scandalous. It was inappropriate. It was cringe-producing. It was awkward. It was undignified. 
they, we have not found one single genealogy from this, from this era, this day, that lists women. So there's 47 names here, 42 men, and five women are listed here. Look at them. Verse 3. Um, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So here's the first woman. And then in verse 5, we find a couple more. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Verse 6, uh, Obed was the father of Jesse. Verse 6, and Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Interesting. Her name is not even mentioned. And that's, well, we'll discover why in just a minute. And then verse 16, the fifth woman who's mentioned here, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So in this family tree of Jesus, intentionally put there by the Holy Spirit, we find women. Now, I'm going to call them, they're called, we're going to call them this morning, they're gender misfits. This is so far out of the norm. This isn't that occasionally women were listed in, in genealogies. They were virtually never listed in genealogies. You might be able to find one or two. But virtually, we don't, we don't know of them. So, so there are these, this is unheard of, and it's inappropriate, and it's undignified. And so in the family of Jesus, here's the good news. In the family of Jesus, all kinds of misfits are welcome. In that day, women were considered as misfits. They're not misfits. I understand that. But in that day, they were considered misfits. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, intentionally lists them to show us that all are of equal value in the kingdom of God. That all by His grace, all by His grace, are welcome into His family. Not only are there gender misfits in this list, but there's racial misfits. So, if the chant in the day was um, Jews first, then, then three of these women would have not cut the mustard. They wouldn't have been allowed in the country. They wouldn't have been allowed into the temple. The, three of these women are immigrants. They're outsiders. They're aliens. They're not us. They're not welcome here. Um, Tamar in verse 3, for instance, and Rahab in verse 5 are Canaanites. If you've read your Old Testament very much, you realize that the Canaanites were enemies of God's people. And yet, it's right... See, if you're writing a resume, you don't put... that You came from the wrong side of the tracks. You came from the enemy of God's people. And yet, Matthew wants us to see, the Holy Spirit wants us to see, that in God's family, all are welcomed by His grace. Canaanites and Jews and and any who come and turn to him as their Lord and Savior. And Ruth, Ruth in verse 5, Ruth was a, remember what her, her racial background was? What was she? Uh, a Moabite. We did a series on Ruth here a couple of years ago. And, and Jews would, we, we, we made this up, but we say Jews would spit on the ground when they, when they heard her pronounce that word Moabite. They were despised people. And yet Jesus is, one of Jesus' mothers is a Moabitess, this group that was despised by Jews as unclean misfits. And yet, all three of these women, Tamar and Rahab and Ruth, are listed as the mothers of Jesus. 
How undignified. Aren't you glad? Because we too are misfits and undignified and unworthy. We're outsiders and we're aliens. And we can be brought into the family of God by His grace. So not only are they gender misfits and racial misfits, but there's some moral misfits in this list as well. Um, four out of five of these women, uh, we love nativity sets at our house, but we, we, we don't have a, a Tamar figure yet. Well, she's a mother of Jesus, right? Grandmother, grandmother of Jesus. But I'd like to see you explain the story of Tamar to your kids. So your kids, oh, what is this little book? Let's put, her, let's put this one right next to Jesus. What's the story, Daddy, about? What's her name? Look on the bottom. Tamar. Well, what you could do then is you could go get the family Bible and open it to Genesis chapter 38. And there's this really seedy story, right, about Tamar who dresses up to pretend she's a prostitute, to pretend she's a hooker, so that when her, ugh, I could just see you sitting under the tree telling your kids this story, right? This is not fit for Sunday school, right? Telling this story about, so she's standing on the corner in her hooker outfit, and her father-in-law comes by. That's the reason she's out there. She turned some other guys down. But when her father-in-law came by, he didn't recognize her. So she hooked him, had sex with him to have a child. Oh, Daddy, that's such an interesting story. <laughs> Tamar, she's, she's something else. And I don't know. I've been looking. I don't think there's, any, there's a Christmas carol about Tamar out there either. But I'm checking. I'm checking. But here she is in your Bible. You, do you have your Bible open? In your Bible is Tamar. She's a mother of Jesus. Praise God that he can redeem the brokenness and sinfulness and bring forgiveness and reconciliation, even in someone as bad as Tamar. She was pretty crazy. She was incestuous. Or verse, chapter, verse 5, how about, here's, a, here's another uh, racial, um, or excuse me, a, a moral misfit. Uh, Rahab, Rahab. Hmm. Yeah. She's not only a Canaanite, but she's a prostitute who has a thriving small home business in a prime location right in the walls of Jericho, right? In Joshua chapter 2. So where, where's, the, where's the little Rahab figure under the Christian tree? Because she is exalted in this story, not for her sin, but she's exalted in this story as a mother of Jesus. As Jesus changes everything. And then, and then there's verse 6, Jesse, the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. <laughs> King David, he's not a woman, but he has an important story with this woman, Uriah's wife. Before David was king, as he was traveling around the country, he, he created a group of guys that were in, called the Navy Seals. David is the beginner of the originator of the Navy Seals. And these guys, remember what the Bible called them? It didn't call them Navy Seals. It called them something else. His mighty men. Mighty men. And you, you, can, you can find them a couple of places, but 2 Samuel 23 is the story of David, one of the stories of David and mighty men. And there he lists 
in, in 2 Samuel 23, there's a list of 37 of David's mighty men. And a lot of times in the Bible, or in, in life today too, when you make a list, remember the first and the last thing are the most important things. Well, in this list, the last name that's mentioned among David's mighty men is a man named Uriah. Uriah was, was, was one of David's bodyguards. These guys would do anything for David. They would take the bullet for David. They would, they would die for David. They would, they would um, uh, fight, fight off wild animals and enemies for David. They were loyal to him. Well, fast forward, David becomes king, and Uriah is where he should be. He's out fighting a battle. And David is not where he should be. David should be out leading his troops in battle, but he's not. He stayed home. And because Uriah was important, Uriah had a house, a couple of houses down. Jerusalem is built on a hill. And a couple of houses down, that's where Uriah lived, his good buddy. And David started going out on the rooftop, you remember the story, and at bath time. The baths were given on the roof, and David would go out, and he, would, he knew when the baths would be drawn, and he would go out, and he would watch as Uriah's wife, unnamed in our text, right, took her baths, and he had the hots for her. And because he was so powerful, and who would believe her? And she would feel so shameful if she reported this. David took her. Does that sound familiar? And David got her pregnant. And then, so that he could marry her, he ordered that Uriah be murdered on the front lines out at battle. The story has more details, of course, as you know. And her name, of course, is Bathsheba. And out of this, this dysfunctional misfit of David and Uriah's wife, Uriah's wife Bathsheba became a mother of Jesus. And Mary. Oh, we could talk about Ruth, but we were, I mean, Ruth... There's some things that are very difficult for me to understand in the book of Ruth. What she was doing, lying and covering the feet of a man who was not her husband, sleeping with him. You know, there's this idea of this morality. And then, and then in verse 16, we have Mary. And Mary, um, the rumors were all over town. She's pregnant. And Joseph knew it wasn't him. Joseph's wondering, is she sleeping around? And other people are wondering, is she sleeping around? And none of it was true. None of that was true. But the rumors, and so for her to be named in, in the perceptions were true. So there you have it in its sleazy, messy detail. Episodes you'd want to cut and not paste into your resume, Right? If you're trying to impress them, this is not the genealogy to show up, show up, show up with. So you've got gender misfits, racial misfits, uh, moral misfits. And all of them, here's the cool thing, amazing thing. 
all of them are mothers of Jesus, grandmothers and great-grandmothers and mothers of Jesus in this great good news story of the genealogy of Jesus. So what does it all mean to us? Let's land this airplane. What does this all mean to us? It means to us in misfits, and that's every single one of us, misfits are welcome into the family of God. His grace reaches even the most defiled. The prostitute and the king are equally lost, right? And they're equally loved and accepted in Jesus. They're equally loved and welcomed at his birth and his life and his crucifixion and his resurrection and his new life. None are excluded by race or by culture. Even murderers and adulterers and incestuous and outsiders and gender misfits and racial misfits and moral misfits are welcome to the Christmas family of Jesus. Now, that is such good news. Now, I want to tell you that that should change everything, but it hasn't yet. And we're in this process of allowing Jesus to change us, to show us that all misfits are equally sinners. All of us are equally sinners, but we can all equally be loved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we're making progress toward that. And I I think this genealogy, one of the reasons it was given was not only to tell us that it's good news, not good advice, but to, to tell us that we too need to treat people like God himself treats them, that all are welcome here. And every culture and every subgroup within every culture has a tendency to make themselves feel better, to assign to other subgroups within that culture um, that they are lesser than we are. It's a way that we can feel a little more secure about ourselves, feel a little more entitled, feel a little more powerful, feel a little more um, look down our noses at other people. And, And this happens in every culture and every subculture. And what Jesus is wanting to do is to say, that's not the way it is in my kingdom. That, that the prostitute who lives in the wall of Jericho is part of the story of Jesus. And Rahab and all of her incestuousness is part of the story of Jesus. And King David, an adulterer and a murderer, there is redemption and renewal even for him. He is welcomed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we need to be careful in our cultures that we don't, we don't paint a, a, a subgroup of people with a wide brush because one person from that culture or a small minority of people from that subculture or that other culture are such and so. Um, it, it, it doesn't matter if we're talking about a different race of people. Oftentimes we, we do this with different races of people or we do this with different people of social classes, people who have more than we or people who have less than us or people who have more education than us or people who have less education than us or people that are Democrats or people that are Republicans or people that are of this gender or of that gender. We have this tendency to always want to be better than someone else. And then that allows us to look down our noses up on them and allows us to ignore them. It allows, us, it allows some of us even to abuse them. Now, I want to say this. I want to say it really clearly. Is women in the United States and in Mexico and in Canada... 
and in Afghanistan and in Zambia and in Singapore and in every place around the world should never have to live in fear of men. Yes? They should never... And what's happened is that our men's club, our subculture, has somehow, in our sinfulness and our perversion, and that is all that it is, and to say that it's something else is a lie. It is our self-centered sinfulness of men to think that it is okay to speak despairingly and sexually and brag about and to take action against any other woman is nothing but a, but, but, but a sin from the pit of hell. And we men not only need to stop it, but when we know about it, the book of Proverbs says that we should speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. And guys, if you're aware of it happening, you need to stand strong and say, this cannot happen because everyone, by the grace of God, is welcomed in to the family of God. A person who is a sexual predator and preys upon someone that is weaker, who has less power, who doesn't, that, that someone doesn't respect, that no means no, is not fit to be in any leadership position. Whether it be a pastor at a church or a politician, whether it be a principal, wherever it would be. And men, we need to take the lead in obeying God's word and speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves. And we need to treat women as our equals. Equally flawed, equally broken, but equally loved at the family of God. Amen? Amen. So the good news of this genealogy of Jesus, it turns all of our sinful ways upside down. And these misfit mothers of Jesus, they sing out to us today that all of us, all of us misfits who are broken and who are dysfunctional and who have missed the mark of God can be equally loved and equally accepted into his family. And I don't know if you've understood that good news of Jesus yet. It's not about what you do to clean your act up or what or about what you have done in your past that will keep you from being loved by God. But this Christmas story, this story that dares to mention Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Uriah's wife and even Mary wants to tell you today that you too, me too, can be part of God's family by the grace of Jesus Christ.